We are a proud member of the 143 Podcast Network. All right, well, it's been a while. Very long while. It's been a while since we've recorded. Mm -hmm. It's nice to talk to you again. Good to know uh, you're still, you still got a voice. I'm still alive, yes. <laughs> What's been crazy is we've both been so busy that uh, we keep, we've hardly been able to even uh, message each other. Right. Like, I'll message you, you'll message back, like, in the evening, <laughs> and I won't really be able to message back, so I'll, like, send a quick reply, and then I won't get one back till the next day. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's yeah, been it's, pretty, pretty, pretty active around here. Yeah, busy, yeah. busy January, February. That's how it is. It's funny, like, uh, I mean, up here, you know, winter, of course, hits differently, and uh, it, it stops you from doing as much stuff in a way, but then it also, like, keeps you constantly busy. And this has been a gentle winter, like, it really hasn't been a big deal, but it's just, like, the days are so short, you do stuff as quick as you can, and then, you know, at nighttime, everybody's stuck in the same spot, pretty much, I guess. Well, even with, and I don't know, just knowing you and things I've learned over the years, even just normal life, the burden winter puts on the stuff you have to do just to maintain and be able to get out of your driveway and things like that. Isn't that a, can be a hassle? Usually this year has been pretty easy. It really has. So, uh, knock on wood, we don't get anything crazy before it ends, but, uh, it's been, it's been an easy year, which has been nice because some years can be real taxing. Usually by now you're just so desperate for it to be over. Uh, and then you get hit by several more storms before winter finally gives up. But, um, yeah, this year hasn't been bad so far. Well, supposedly we're about to enter a mini ice age because the sun is going into something called a solar minimum. So it's supposed to be a chance for really bad winters in the next 15 to 30 years. So. We'll see. With global warming and that happening at the same time, who knows? It'll probably just be normal. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> but a lot's, a lot's happened. A lot's been going on since the last time we spoke. Um, your 49ers didn't fare so well in the long run. Well, they, they felt, they fared pretty well they until good. the last quarter. Hey, you made, I, you know, made it to the, to the championship. Yeah. I remember yeah, I got nothing to complain so about. Halftime was close and I was like, well, might be a, a good, a good thing here happening for, for them. And didn't yeah, happen. I mean, it was tied at halftime. Then the 49ers had a 10-point lead, and then they ended up losing. And, and they lost by um, double digits, but essentially they lost the lead, and then they you know, they had to go for it on the last drive, blew it, and gave up one more touchdown when it was pretty much over anyways. Yeah, yeah. But, um, that That's about all. Like, honestly, I can't remember much of the game. I couldn't tell you much about it. Uh, when you're watching a game like that and it's your team and you're intensely into it, you're not really absorbing yeah, stuff. It's yeah. Like it's just kind of flowing through you, I guess. Like all that matters is the end result. And, um, I don't think I'll ever go back and revisit it. Uh, the last Super Bowl, the 49ers lost, uh, they lost to the Ravens. I've never doubled back on that. And that's been years ago. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I got nothing to complain about. It was a great year. And I think that this is a building point. I think that we got there prematurely, if anything. And we, I think we very much were the, uh, I mean, you could argue different things, but worst, we were the third best team in the league. Oh, yeah. And we made it to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, arguably, we're the second best team in the league, um, even though that's not always the case, obviously. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be onwards and upwards from this point, really. So, Well, speaking as somebody that lives in, in Texas and, you know, Dallas Cowboys have had their day in the sun. And it's been quite a while. So, to make it that far is uh, something that should be, fans should be can be proud of um cuz it's been a it's been a while since the Cowboys have had even a decent shot to do anything. Yeah, I mean it was basically the same era as the last 49ers win. I think the Cowboys actually I think the 49ers last Super Bowl win was uh was after the Cowboys run of wins. Mm -hmm. And then the Packers yeah kind of slid in and started taking over the NFC. Yeah. Um yeah, I think that was around that era. And then, you know, like, eras don't last long. No. Like, other than the Patriots. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was, it was a good year. Um, nothing, nothing but happiness for, for how it went. I feel good about my team, too, where, whereas the last time we were in the Super Bowl, it was exciting to be that competitive, but you knew there were problems in the team. Like, you could see it. There was a lot of, um, character issues with the players in the team. There wasn't that, you know, that, like, love that a team gets for each other mm -hmm. and 
this team is very different. Like they very much are all about the team, you know? Yeah, that's key. So very different. But yeah, that came, uh, you know, right in the middle of winning the NFC championship in the Super Bowl when I'm just supposed to be getting myself all ramped up. Of course, that was the, uh, the Sunday that Kobe died in the helicopter yeah, crash. Yeah. So yeah, so, I mean, it shock. Yeah. That, that whole week was just. It's just a blur. I mean, I had to like talk myself into getting pumped up for the Super Bowl after that. And, uh, today I actually, I had to go to the store to buy something for work. And as I was going to pay for it, I walked down the magazine aisle at the grocery store and they had two Kobe commemorative magazines out. One put out by ESPN and one put out by Sports Illustrated. Yeah. So I, I grabbed both of those. I knew they would be doing that at some point. And, um, like one was 15 bucks and one was 16 bucks. So I spent over $30 to get two magazines, mm-hmm. but it was something I knew I was going to do when they were there. I haven't even had a chance to look at them yet today, but, um, yeah, it's sports wise. It's been a whirlwind. And that's part of the reason uh, I actually got a message from, uh, Glenn, who I believe we both, uh, talk with on Twitter. I had brought up with him the idea of podcasting with me at some point because he's been going through a lot of struggling with himself about how to collect and what mm-hmm, to collect. And he's mm-hmm. a big su- longtime Superman fan. He's been back and forth on what he should do. And um I think he's somebody that'd be really interesting to talk to because you can message people about something like that, but it ends up being like just a brief kind of here's here's my story, but there's no discussion to you know go further with it. And I think uh You should. Yeah, he's a lot of fun comics, to right? Yeah, I, I think I've uh, yeah, I've interacted with him a little bit. Yeah, 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 nice guy. And I met some seems, other guys. Seems like uh, a nice guy, his, kind of uh, upbeat, more positive fan focus on what he loves instead of just <laughs> grapping about things. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and I understand the struggle of trying to figure out uh, being a fan of something like what that really means as far as collecting goes. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyways, I had talked to him about this quite a while ago, but just so much was constantly on my mind. I, I mean, I wasn't even too concerned by the fact that you and I haven't been able to get together in quite some time because just, uh, only so much mental energy. So Ooh. I'm kind of glad to have a lot of that stuff over with. Yeah. Shift my mind to new things. Yep. You had quite a discovery today. You told me. <laughs> yeah. So today, um, I mentioned this online, but uh, I don't think we've talked this way since then. But my comic shop is closing. They've been open for about five years, and uh, the owner, Zach, said that he was going to give it five years to turn it into a, like, a viable career. Uh, and if it wasn't, you know, turning into something that was basically a real job as far as income, uh, it's basically how he put it, that, you know, he'd move on from it. And so that time has come and it just never, it was successful enough, but it was never enough to, you know, like uh, to meet his needs, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so he decided to to close the shop and I've already gotten, uh, I think it was last week was the last week that weekly books came in. And so he started having, uh, his first sell was, all the comics that were $7 or less were a dollar. Mm. So I ran in the day I actually saw when he posted the day of, and I ran, I had just gone out with my wife to get something. Um, she had, she's been like getting cold after cold this winter. Mm-hmm. She's been, uh, been rough in that regards. And we had gone out to get some miso soup for kind of a treat and, uh, you know, soother a bit for lunch. And we got home and while we're sitting there eating, I was, you know, looking, looking at my phone and I saw the sale. I was like, ah, crap, I got to go back out. And I ran back over there and I got like, oh, man, I got quite a few issues of Amazing Spider-Man for a buck a piece. Nice, I, like, yeah. I never see Amazing Spider-Man around. No. And it's something I wanted to start collecting some, but I wanted to have a like a cheap into it, you know? So I got a bunch of issues for a buck. So that was kind of the, the first thing that went really well with that. And uh, he also had 50% off of trades. Uh, and like collectibles and t-shirts. And I got, um, I did get one cool book that time and it was a, a daredevil, uh, artist edition, mm-hmm. uh, David Mazzuccelli, uh, some like really seminal daredevil stuff and like presented in a different way. That's like really highlighting the artwork. Uh, so that was really cool. Got that for pretty cheap with the sale, but, uh, 
I kind of I went back in once or twice, kind of just looking around. It's like I have to let stuff sink in and really think about, you know, is is are there things that I'm interested in or not? You know, like I don't want to buy stuff just to buy stuff. Right. So uh, I was like, well, you know, I'll kind of, you know, bought a, a few issues here or there of different stuff to kind of try things out for you know just a buck a piece because that, that's what a sell was. And then today I was at work and he has his fi- he's two weeks till he closes, so he put up his final sale. Uh, everything that was fifty percent off is on seventy five percent. Wow! So right there, I'm like, oh man, seventy five percent off of trades. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, um, all the books that were only a dollar, which is the majority of what he has now, uh, you could fill a long box for sixty bucks. So I went in and I picked up a couple of books. Uh, I got the volume one hardcover of Descender for seventy five percent off. That's great. I got um, Frankenstein. Uh, like the Bernie Wrightson Frankenstein, which like the art and that is amazing. Uh, that was, oh man, I think that was like six seventy five hmm. for a hardcover. That's nice. Um, I got a, a trade paperback of uh, it was done through I think I believe through Kickstarter. It was uh Kevin Eastman and Ben Bishop did it, and it's a, a comic they did together. It's basically telling a the story like kind of fictionally of how TMNT happened, but not, not specifically about TMNT. It's a fictional story, but it's, it parallels it, you know? Oh, that's really um, cool. Called, though. Yeah. I, I haven't read it yet. It's called drawing blood. Um, <laughs> so I got that. And then, uh, I got my son three pop vinyls of superhero, uh, superheroes because they were 75% off. So they're only like two seventy five a piece. And he digs them. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put these away for a birthday present. So yeah, I got some cool stuff like that. And like, I, I wanted to do the long box thing, but I just like, I was way too tired. So yeah. I couldn't mentally process it. So I said, you know, I'm going to get this stuff right now. And I'm going to, at some point, I'm sure I'll be back to do that, you know, because mm-hmm. a long box full of comics for 60 bucks is really cheap. Oh yeah. You know, per comic. So, um, I came home and I thought about it and I had grabbed one comic for my son, uh, the new issue of the Spe- spectacular spider ham. Uh, so I got him that and, um, gave it to him and like, he didn't seem interested when I gave it to him, but he also like, if he's focused on something, his mind's on that, you know, yeah, yeah. So I gave it to him. And then like, I went to whatever, get a snack. I just got home from work and I, uh, you know, whatever. And he came in all excited about, uh, something he shows me. It's actually the last page and it's, um, it's the teaser for the next issue, you know, like next month, you know, this is coming out and he, he wanted it. I'm like, that's, that one's not even out yet. Like this one that you have is the newest one. That one's coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, so I thought about it and, um, uh, then I messaged you, mm-hmm. I messaged, uh, another friend cause I know the stuff they have and I know the kind of stuff you guys like. I was so just messaged, uh, you guys I was like, Hey, do you want to pitch in a little bit and I'll send you a huge box of comics for <laughs> cheap? Um, so you jumped on that other guy jumped on that. Uh, and so I was like, okay, that's enough that I could get this. And, and I, it's not going to be a a ton out of pocket for me. I get you guys a bunch of stuff that you'll like that will, you know, it's like, it'll be dirt cheap. Heck yeah. And, uh, so I went and loaded up, but I got, I got Sammy like 24 comics in there. Um, like pretty much wiped out the, the kids section, got a bunch of TMNT stuff, like kid TMNT stuff for him. And um, Marvel started doing something for kids comics where they actually partner with IDW. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember reading about it and being intrigued because the Marvel comics for kids they made before that were just like super, super like cartoony and like, I mean, like real little kids stuff. Mm-hmm. Sammy liked them okay, but like I, it just was kind of missing something. It's like they were going like way too young yeah, or just normal, you know? Um, and then I read about, they were going to do this thing with IDW and I kind of forgot about it. And then Sammy grabbed some of those. And I was like, I don't care how many you get. Cause like, we're f- going to fill this whole box up. So I, um, he like kept on grabbing them and then I just made sure he didn't get any duplicates. Yeah. And then when I got him home and I was trying to start sorting stuff out, um, I looked at him, I was like, oh yeah, that's what this is. And I kind of fleefed through them and it's. Rather than being like comics super dumbed down for kids, it's comics that are just like made more for kids. See, you know? Yeah, like, that's good. Yeah, definitely a good a good middle ground. And there's nothing wrong with the comics that are like the you know really dumbed down for little kids. Um, 
not the little kids are dumb, but you know, no. um, like the really simplified or kind of goofy stuff. Um, I mean, goofy, like, I mean, God, grownups like goofy comics. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm trying to I say? I know what you're like, saying. The, yeah. The really kidified version. So, so like, I was excited about him getting those. He even picked out there was a Three Stooges comic. Oh, really? It's like, uh, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it was in the kids section. It's a new comic. It's not like it's an old comic, but he saw that and he came over. He said, this looks funny. I want to get this. I said, okay. Um, I let him get another pop vinyl. They had a Harry Potter one. And, uh, he in the last few months has decided he wants to have pop vinyls for collecting. Cause before that, he basically treated them like action figures and played with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, okay, you know, we can kind of phase out some of the beat up ones. And, you know, if he, he get one, I mean, for less than three bucks, whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so uh got that all that stuff and I was actually I dug through what used to be his dollar bins that now like the whole store's a dollar bin basically. And I, he had thrown a bunch of stuff in there that I didn't know he had that I was really excited about. So like I I'm pretty psyched cuz I got a ton of crap for the other guy that I know he wants to collect. Um I got a lot of good stuff for you and I got a lot of stuff that I'm really happy with and like by splitting the pie up it's like not much of any investment for any of us. So mm-hmm. Good day. But then the last thing I got, I was looking at, I looked at it when I was first in there and it's this big, um, artist select edition. IDW puts it out, but it's a, it's a Marvel comic. Uh, it's not my favorite Marvel comic, but it's one of my favorite Marvel comic creators. Uh, John Byrne, Fantastic Four. Oh, wow. So I've never cared much for Fantastic Four, but I was looking at this and it's a, it's a $150 book. Wow. Heavy slip case, like art, you know, like artist, art, you know, like full art side, whatever. It's big. Um, and I had looked at it when I was first in there. I looked at it again and I could see like Zach, the shop owner, like looking at me while I looked at it, like hoping I'll just buy the damn thing because he just wants to clear a store out, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's a fantastic four fan. So I asked him about it. I was like, you know, what can you tell me about this? Like, uh, I, you know, what's in it? Um, and he tells me about how basically John Burns run, like after the Lee and Kirby stuff is considered the best run. And he said, if you have trouble reading the early stuff, the Lee and Kirby stuff, this is probably, this is written more modern. It was written in the eighties, you know, when he, it was what he did after he did the X-Men. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm never going to get this otherwise. Like, I'm never going to get something like this. I'm never going to have the opportunity to get anything this cheap. You know, it was a $150 book I got for $37.50. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I said, what the hell? Because you know what? If I don't like it, I'm pretty sure I can get at least most of my money back out I'm, of it. I'm sure you can. I'm yeah. And what's that, really cool, I didn't high, even realize Those high-quality editions like that, I bet easily can get your money or more back. Yeah. And I didn't even realize this when I bought it. But when I got home and I looked closer and I opened it up and actually saw it. So it's numbered out of nine nine hundred ninety-nine. And it's signed by John Byrne. Oh, my God. So it's signed and hand-numbered. And uh, mine is number four. Really? So I got a – yeah. Out of all these who he was signing, mine was the fourth one he did. That's so he wasn't cool. even tired by that time. Yeah. Yeah. You can still maybe make out the letters. Yeah, that's cool. I'm not a I'm not a huge collector of, like, signed editions and stuff, but it's always cool when you get something that has a signature in it. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for the most part, I, I like a signature could take or leave it. The one comic I have that I bought. Well, actually, I have two comics that I bought because they were signed. And one, I didn't necessarily buy it because it was signed. It was, um, an issue of Uncanny X-Men and, uh, you know, bought it from my comic shop. Um, and Zach had taken it, uh, to a convention that he had a booth at. Uh, he's selling stuff, but, uh, Chris Claremont was there. And so he took some issues and got them signed. And so he put it up for sale, of course, for more than like more than it would have been worth if it wasn't signed, but he was having a sale. So I got it for a good price, even if it wasn't signed. So like that, that one's cool. Cause I obviously like, um, being huge into uncanny X-Men, I love Chris Claremont. So I might not have met him, but that's probably the closest I'm ever going to get. Cause it's not like I really get around to conventions. Yeah. Um, and the only other one that I have is one that uh, it's a variant cover for uh, I believe it's House of X, and it the, it's by Kevin. The cover art is uh, by Kevin Eastman. It's Wolverine, and is signed by Kevin Eastman. Nice. And uh, that one I I bought, um, and I knew what an unsigned variant cost. So it was like the difference in costs. I was like, it's it's acceptable, you know, that's fine. Plus it'll it'll hold its value. 
Yeah. I've got only things I had. I, I got actually had Clayton Crane sign my Eternal Warrior number one because he did the cover art for it. He didn't do the interiors, but he did the cover that I, of the first one. And then uh, I had him sign because he did the art for uh, for Matt Kent's run of uh, of Ray Rye. Um, and I had him sign the number one for that. And other than that, I've never had anybody sign anything. I went to. I've only been to two book signings. That's not true. I used to work in a bookstore. I've been at lots of book signings, but. I went to an Anne Rice book signing because my wife was a fan of hers and wanted to get some books signed, but she didn't do anything special. We just stood in line for like three hours and <laughs> got a stack of books signed, um, which was, is cool. Um, but then the one that was really cool for me and I wanted to go to the signing is this last summer, my daughter was looking at colleges, what to go to. So we visited the university of Texas and it just so happened when we were down there, uh, this, this fantasy sci-fi author named Pierce Brown was releasing a part of a series, the red rising series that Dave and my cousin Steve and I've been reading. And it's like, wow, this is a, and it's in a really cool bookstore, independent bookstore down in Austin. I'm like, wow, this is neat. I just want to go because he was going to do like a reading or a presentation beforehand and I didn't even really care about getting that sign, but I wanted to go just to to see what he was like. And my wife was like, "Sure, you go do that," because we spent the week had spent the weekend there, and uh, it ended up being enjoyable. I didn't even care about getting the book signed, but uh, you know, my wife says, "You've been, you might as well go ahead and do it because you can get." I could get a, a copy signed for my cousin. It's cool. I, it's just, I don't, he's already, he did an event for like an hour and a half and then he stood up and he stood up there for like three, three and a half hours signing books. I just don't understand. He, they actually had to close the store with people still in there, um, for that, but it was just the experience. I enjoy that. Like whether the artist's name is or the writer's name is on the book, it doesn't really matter, but it's just neat. It's just a neat little collectible thing to have. That you're probably less yeah, likely to get rid of than if it was just something else. Yeah, I think it's more about um, the experience of meeting them than it is about like actually having something that's signed. It's kind of like, okay, you know, you're standing in line all that time to meet them. You might as well have them sign your book, you know? Yeah. But um, I, I got so Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird did a signing down in Wells, Maine. Uh, Steve Levine, who worked with them on early TMNT stuff owned a shop down there that's no longer there and jim lawson also was at the signing so you had four of the like original tmnt guys and obviously eastman and laird are the original guys and they like never did stuff together at that point like it was rare but it's for the i believe the 30th anniversary and uh, i went with my buddy down there and we, i think you were allowed to get like four things signed and it was very much standing in line just to get things signed yeah um, because there were a ton of people. So it's not like they had time to chat or anything, but just to have that brief moment of meeting them and getting something signed. I got, um, a hardcover collection of that original stuff signed by them. And that's like, that's meaningful to me because I still pull that out and look at that. And that's, you know, that rather than just getting a bunch of comics signed, it's like that to me was way cooler. Oh yeah. Um, so I got that signed. I also bought a print that all four of them worked on and got that signed and that's up on my wall and that's not going anywhere. Aside from that, I got um, got one issue of a comic that uh, was a low print run that it was uh, Peter Laird's run on TMNT because when they sold the rights to Nickelodeon, he had the rights to publish a certain amount of issues on his own. Uh, so it was the last issue he ever released of that. Um, and I got that signed, uh, I believe. I believe I got that signed that time. Maybe that was another time because there was another time I went there just for Peter Laird. So, yeah, I mean, it was like getting get getting the stuff signed getting to meet them um you know it wasn't like a big a chance to like chat with them and it wasn't you know anything amazing they weren't presenting anything but just being there it's like the other fans in line were cool uh the shop is cool it's tons of TMNT stuff in there so you know it was it was what it was but it was like uh even though, though it was just standing in line to get something signed it was still a cool experience that i won't forget you know yeah yeah and you can't say it like it that wouldn't work with just anybody like if i stood in line like that to get something signed by i don't know chris claremont for example it wouldn't really have that much meaning to me but because it was eastman and layered it had more meaning yeah to me. yeah i've got some i mean ronnie got me some valiant books signed <clears throat> he had a 
uh, I guess it was Exo Man of War number one when Ken came on board with that and he, he got it signed and Dinesh, I mean, I guess everybody that was there with Valiant signed it and Dinesh even made Donnie Cates sign it. And Donnie Cates apparently was like, what? I, don't, I shouldn't be signing this book. I had nothing to do with this. You've written for Valiant. <laughs> He's like, Donnie Cates was concerned that for some reason he was offending Matt Kent by signing that book, but Dinesh made him do it because that's, <laughs> and it's right before Donnie, Cates really took off. I mean, he had written some stuff, something for Valiant, I think. And that was right when the Donnie Cates, before he'd done anything with uh, the big, with this Marvel stuff or anything. And he had, uh, what's that, the God, um, dang it, the awesome, uh, and in fact, you sent me the trade because I couldn't ever oh, guess. Gosh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's um, a great book set in Texas. He even quotes Cormac McCarthy at the very beginning of it. And uh, I'm yeah. blanking on it the name of it i'll see if i can look it up while you talk but yeah that was but, around the time like he had that he had the aftershock books I yes think, starting to come out he was starting and then he just kind of took over along with it uh, god country yeah god country such a good book and I, that's one of those trades i'm just going to keep you sent me that um because i could not ever find a copy because that's when he's he's kind of starting <laughs> to you know get some notoriety and i think he even lives down here in, in austin so that makes him even better since he's from texas so I'm joking. I'm not that really sentimental about Texas things, but it's just neat. It's, it's neat. He seems like an interesting creator, but yeah, yeah it's fun stuff. But, uh, yeah. what I want to hear more about though is this record that you found today. <laughs> yeah. And I sent you a message cause I, uh, I had gone to the, they have this thing called trade days. It's like basically a giant flea market they have once a year in this little town nearby. And it goes back decades and decades back to when farmers would come in from the country and they try to sell their stuff to people in the city and they crafts and arts and crafts. And it just kind of turned into, they're all over the country. You know what I'm talking about. People just selling basically just trash. Sixty <laughs> percent of it is just like garbage that they they're trying to sell. But there's all you can always find like little treasures and neat stuff in there. I mean, people will sell anything from honey to handmade furniture that they make in their backyard or their shop. But I was going through this record bin, and I there's a couple of things I never expected to find. One of them was this. Another one is there's an artist that I love who died back in the 90s. Name's Towns Van Zant. If you've watched uh, Big Lebowski, at the very end of the show, they play a song called Dead Flowers, which is a Rolling Stone song. But it's him singing it, doing the cover version of it. Um, and that's actually how I got introduced to him somehow. And that's when I went down the rabbit hole of learning his music and loving it. Um, I was so into him, actually, that when I got met my wife the first gift she ever gave me was a towns van zant poster that he she ordered from his wife and he's just he's a he's a he's a he's a kind of like an artist or a singer songwriter singer songwriter i mean most people don't know who he is but you know musical people that love that kind of thing do and uh i've always like hoped to just find a record by him because he's like yeah. a, the godhead of country not even country he's more folk um, music back in the sixties. Um, you know, it's Willie Whalen. And then you get guys like Towns Van Zandt, Blaze Foley. And then there's this guy named Ray Wiley Hubbard. And I don't know what it is about Texas and country artists having Ray Wiley Hubbard. Um, those long names, they could be either a country singer or a serial killer easily. You, you never know. <laughs> but I never expected to find this because I've looked and looked and looked and it's his first album. Actually, it's, he's put another head. He was in another little band, which I know I'll never find. Uh, he was in a band called, uh, the Cowboy Twinkies based out of Dallas <laughs> back in the like seventies, I think early seventies. And this is from 1978 and it's Ray Wiley Hubbard's off the wall. <coughs> Excuse me. I've had a bad cough lately and I saw this and I almost, I couldn't believe it. And it's just a, it's a, and it's a perfect copy and they get sold it to me for four bucks. You can't go online and try to find this. You can't find it. It's not available. It's not, yeah. it's not available. I found one guy selling like a promo copy of it, trying to sell it for 20 bucks, but I don't know what promo copy means. Is that going to be like a little single or something? Um, promo copy usually means that it was like sent to a, record, a radio, radio station. station. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's probably, beat up yeah 
yeah. because it's just been kicked around as a tool, basically. I actually have um, – there's a Sage Francis single that I had had when it was new that, like, you can't get it new anymore, of course. And I found it for a pretty uh, affordable price on Amazon, and that's exactly what it was. It was a copy that was sent to a radio station, and it was kind of dusty and, you know, beat up a little bit. But uh, the record was in, you know, okay shape. Um I definitely had to put a quarter on the uh the head of the needle to weight it down so it wouldn't skip on the skips, but you know it looks um, to be in perfect condition. I haven't got a chance to play because my needle needs replacing my daughter we got her a record player several years ago that she's never used that I'm gonna steal from her um <laughs> Um, I, it's, she's got it in a weird place. I, I couldn't play it, but it looks to be in perfect condition. The, the case, the slip case looks to be in perfect condition, except for a little wear on some corners. <laughs> but it's like I said, it's just one of those things you say. I had almost stopped looking through like about midway through the box. I'm like, none of this stuff interests to me. It's mostly a bunch of like country singers. And I'm not really that into country. I'm into a certain style of what you'd call Americana or, um, alt country kind of thing and this guy definitely fits that yeah like kind of the folk stuff or the singer songwriter kind yeah, of stuff where yeah. it's, it's like crafted not just pop music <clears throat> but i guess this was it was put out by lone star records and a, he thanks willie nelson for i guess willie nelson was involved with him getting a chance to do this because he was an up-and-coming guy uh, back in the seventies when, when Willie moved back to Texas and started the whole hippie cowboy weird thing down in Austin. Um, he had grew his hair out long, started smoking weed or at least did it publicly and, uh, kind of changed things a lot, made Austin weird. And I don't know a single song on this record except for one, um, called Redneck Mother. And that's a song that he didn't make famous, but People, some people will know that just because of, um, it, he probably made more, he's probably made more money off of people covering his songs than, um, money that he's made from selling his own records just because this one song, even Redneck Mother, it's, 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 it's just kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. Just any, if you want to know what it's like, it's, it's not a good song, <laughs> really. He, he's even said that he, he, uh, he's, t- he's kind of turned, he's really honed his craft since the nineties. He went through a really bad, um, alcohol situation. Steve Ray Vaughn actually visited him before Steve Ray Vaughn died in that terrible, terrible crash he had back in the nineties, I guess it was, and said, man, you need to get things right. Your, your goal, your, your life is out of mess. And he's since turned his life around and made a career as being like a really good, you know, Singer songwriter. He does rock and roll. He does this. And a lot of, a lot of t- young Texas singer songwriters will go to him for advice or help with a song and stuff like this. And I've heard store one story and I've actually heard him say this. He said, when you write a song, be sure that it's something you will be able to stand playing over every night for 30 or 40 years. And he's talking about this song that's on this album. That's the number one track because. I can see how it could be a beating because it's just becoming like a bar room thing. And, uh, but he says, but then I don't really care so much. I don't feel so bad about writing that song when I go to the mailbox once a month for my royalty check, because that's, you know, he's written a song that a lot of people like, you know, and he's a, he is definitely a, he's a, I've got to see him two or three times in person, small little venues. And he's just a, he's just this hippie dude that plays music and, Rides around in a van. <laughs> so I went on along, but it was like, it's one of those, it's, it's impossible. Never expected to find this because I don't think they've probably sold very many. Yeah. And it was, it's the kind of thing that you, that's the only way you're going to find it is total luck and it's going to be cheap mm-hmm. and it's just going to be the perfect thing and make you feel so good. Um, I had, uh, a while back and I had told you about it already, but I went to this flea market and this one guy sells records there and, uh, I was looking through. And I found, um, a few records that were, you know, interesting enough to get, you know, he had a little sell, so they were just four bucks each. But the one that kind of tickled me the most was getting Leon Redbone, cause I yeah. just discovered who he was. And I got that, brought it home, listened to it, and I actually liked, um, a lot of the songs on it are songs that, uh, are popular elsewhere, you know, other, by other artists mm-hmm. more than by him. Um, 
and I'm not sure because uh, he seems like uh, you know once again like kind of the singer songwriter type. So I think like he's written stuff, but then he's also covers a lot. Mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. you know Johnny Cash is a good example of that. That's really famous where he's written a lot of stuff, but he also I think when you're a singer songwriter like that, you also are looking for other people's songs that you want to attempt to do, you know? So it's like, you have a lot of, of both. You, you make things that other people do and you do a lot of things that other people have made. Um, that one is like, I got that for four bucks, but that's, that wasn't like finding that grail. Like you just said, you know, um, the closest I've gotten to that recently, uh, or gosh, with records, I guess probably ever, um, back when we were talking about getting each other a record for Christmas, and I was looking around at what I could get you, um, one of the things that I bounced across considering was getting, uh, Bonnie Prince Billy's I See a Darkness, which is the, <coughs> pardon me, uh, no yeah. uh, which is the, the album that got me into Bonnie Prince Billy. I'd heard him doing the, the hook on a Sage Francis song. And then I looked into who he was and I discovered that album. That's the one that I bought. Johnny Cash covered a song off of it, the title song. Um, so like, oh, well, maybe I'll get you that. And I looked and, um, I mean, we were buying the, these off of Amazon. So that way we could have them like ship to each other and not pay for shipping, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, they didn't have new copies at all. So I was like, I'm, I'm never going to get my hands on this record because it's already out of print and it's his own label. So it's like, it's a small label. So it's not like stuff is just constantly being reprinted. So we go to how what the heck were we doing we went down to portland for oh it was the day of the super bowl actually we're going down uh to my buddy's house to watch the super bowl uh and we just went down early and we're doing some shopping and stuff like that places that we don't have around where we live because portland's an hour about an hour away and we i I went into one store because there was a book that i wanted that i had seen there before that was uh is a 20 dollar hardcover uh, that was normally 40 bucks. And I, I looked at it and I thought about it for several weeks and thought, ah, if it's still there, you know, I would like to have that. So I went back to get that. And as I'm walking back, they have a bunch of stuff on sale, uh, on clearance. And they, they're also having a sale where their clearance stuff is buy two, get one free. So I'm like, okay, just kind of like keeping my eyes open. I go by the records and they have like a small, very small section of clearance records. Mm-hmm. I flip through a little bit. And sure enough, I found I See a Darkness. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and I'm looking, I'm like, it was only 12 bucks. And I'm looking at it like, is this, is this a single? Like, what the heck is this? Wow. Like, there's no way I just found this for 12 bucks. Sure enough, that's, that's exactly what it that's was. Awesome. The, the record that, uh, that I wanted, you know, probably more than any record, right? I mean, the, the one exception is, uh, I would like the first, for De La Soul albums oh, yeah. on vinyl, but you can't get those period right now. So that ain't going to happen. But anyway, so this is the, the most sought after record uh, that I could realistically get that I stumbled upon. Felt pretty good. That's Feels a, good it's, to find it's stuff a, it's, that way. It's a good feeling when you find stuff like that. I don't know if I told you about it, but one of my favorite writers is he's a, Texas writer named John Graves that no one, he only wrote, he only put it like four books and most of them are kind of like a, just about life, his life. And like the, the one he's best known for is called goodbye to a river where they were talking about damming, putting like 13 dams on the Brazos river in the area that he grew up on in. And, you know, that would have drastically changed the, the ecosystem and environment and of the river and of the entire area. And so he, he had in mind, he just went and he started as like an article for Texas Monthly magazine and turned into a book that became a huge, huge uh, national uh, sensation for, for that time period. Um, and it's just a mixture of history and personal reflection and reflection on the culture of the people in the area. None of it is necessarily too sentimental to where the people, people that are, you know, are, are, are praised for being from Texas. It's like, no, people from Texas are just actually pretty crappy a lot of the time to each other and to other people. And he like tells all the stories that he grew up hearing and learned over the years. But anyhow, it's one of my very favorite books. And in fact, for my birthday last year, I did the audio version and re-listened to it. And I, I re-fell, I realized how important that one book has been on me 
since the first time because his outlook is kind of the same outlook I have towards things. And I don't know how much of it is I already had that or how much he influenced me just because of his lack of sentimentality about where you're from. Because some people you mentioned like, oh, I'm from, uh, I don't know. Texas is always the big one. It's like everything's bigger and better in Texas. Well, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's a myth. Everything about the history of Texas is mostly aggrandized myth-making that we did to make ourselves feel better for being a really poor state back in the 1920s and 30s before, well, that was actually a little bit earlier than that even. Anyhow, I go, I digress. But the reason I, I it's like I I had that book on my mind one day and I went, we, me and my wife go to these little shops and I was like, man, I'd really like to find a hardcover first edition. I don't chase first editions, I'd love, but I'd love to have a first edition of hardcover first edition of note of goodbye to a river. And I walked into this store and I was walking through and it's just kind of like disjunct everywhere. It's just, it's really overwhelming at times. But I look and there's a bookshelf and there's a hardcover edition of goodbye to a river. And I'm like, Oh my God, my jaw dropped. Ended up being, <laughs> it ended up being a reprint, but I, I was happy with that anyhow, because that's might be, that's probably as close as I'll ever get to, because I've, I've priced the actual first editions. And if anybody puts a first edition on the shelf for a dollar, they're losing lots of money. But it's just, you know, it's just, uh, makes you feel good to find something like that because it means something to you. You know, finding, yeah. I see a darkness that made you feel good because it's something you've wanted and you care about. Yeah. Yeah. The, the value, like it's not just the dollar value you're spending, but there's uh, an emotional value when it's something that you legitimately want. I've, it, we so often, it's so easy to talk ourselves into wanting something. Mm-hmm. I mean, oftentimes, like we literally go out saying, I want to want something. So I'm going to go to the store and find something to want. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we do better when we know what we want and we're not going out looking for things that we don't want. Um, I went through this recently where, and I, I texted you about this, but I decided to splurge and buy a box of, um, of football cards, like yeah. a hobby box. So it's an expensive box. Um, and I'm thinking back to the days when for a few years I collected and did this regularly. And I, I, this, the same, um, set of cards, I had gotten one year I got uh, an autographed Andrew Luck rookie card. Oh, wow. I flipped that for 400 bucks. Dang. The year before that, I got an autographed Cam Newton rookie card, flipped that for 250. And, uh, I would do that and then I would use the money I made from, from selling it to buy the cards I actually wanted. So I was like, oh, cool. You know, like I've always done well with this. Like it's a good product and like odds are I'm going to get, uh, you know, get stuff to at least like kind of break even. Mm-hmm. I got jack nothing like it was yeah. it was bad um so i i basically like i mean i've i've list i've sold a couple of the cards um and i have the you know the other ones listed i'm gonna just keep on dropping the price until they sell but i'm gonna make back a small fraction of what i spent and you know it was kind of a harsh lesson but it just really showed me like don't don't chase a feeling yeah don't convince yourself that you want something um like kind of decide if you really want it and then be patient. Um, you know, a good example to on the, the patience side, um, a few comics I've been keeping my eyes out for is uh, Marvel Comics Presents. They had like over a hundred issues of it, mm-hmm. and in the the midst of like in the midst of that, like each issue was I think like three or four parts of a, of different stories. You have like three or four stories running concurrently. Um, in the same issue over the course of a few issues or whatever. Yeah. And the origins of Weapon X, you know, of Wolverine becoming Weapon X was in, in Marvel Comics Presents. It was, uh, drawn and I think, I believe written also by Barry Windsor Smith. Oh, yeah. Um, and it never really caught my attention much until I ended up with one issue of it that I want to say I got in a box of stuff from a friend where either I bought some stuff or we traded or something. I don't know, but I wasn't pretty, I, I, you know, it was just an issue they threw in the box because they had an extra copy or whatever. And the cover was just so nice. Like Barry Windsor Smith, there's things I don't like about his artwork sometimes, but his artwork is very good and very unique. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, this is really cool. I kind of want, I kind of want to collect this. So I've always kind of kept my eyes out you know, for it. And I think I was, I had, uh, all but, I want to say like three of the issues. And I found a flea market 
that had a bunch of those, but the issues were priced at like five bucks a piece. And I looked online and like the price was a reasonable price. But the thing is like I'm looking through a, th- a flea market. They're not well organized. They're like, you know how it is like when you're digging through bins of old comics and they just feel kind of grungy. Cause I mean, that's exactly why you bag and board them. So that the, the bag is grungy. The comic is not, you know, mm-hmm. but like it just like it, nothing aesthetically feels nice about this. And on top of that, like I'm looking through them and like it just. It smells like smoky, and I don't know if it's the comics or just other stuff that was over there. Huh. But like, it smelled like it was kept in a house uh, with somebody that smoked and yeah, yeah, all that yeah. smell, you know. So I just like there. I, I looked at the same comics two different times, like probably half a year or more apart, and both times I said, you know what, no, like I'll just pull the trigger online if I like if I'm gonna get these, but I'm not gonna spend five bucks in a flea market to this person that's overpricing their comics for how they're presenting it. Like, oh, yeah. you know, when you yeah. have your comics in a crappy little box in a flea market and they're, they're not organized, they don't, they're not clean. Mm-mm. Like why, why, why should I pay their value? You know, yeah. that's, that's when you get them for, that's when you find deals and right. it drives me nuts now. Like it, whenever I find comics and then I see that they're being priced at like five bucks a piece, just makes me kind of mad. Yeah. Yeah. But so I, I didn't get them. And, uh, those were some of the issues that I got today that I have looked through what my, my comic shop that's going to be closing soon. I've looked through what they've, they have plenty of times. They never had these issues out before. And today I looked through and they had these issues. So I'm pretty sure I got the last issues that I needed to complete that run. That's awesome. Yeah. So see, I mean, that's, see the, and the difference between what you were talking about earlier, <laughs> excuse me, um, about the, like the football cards or like when Hastings, uh, a store up here closed and I went in and would buy bundles of comics, not knowing what's in it. You're just gambling there. But when you actually have a chance to go out there and actually hand pick everything, that's the, that's the good thing right there. Yeah. And a gamble's not bad if it's, uh, if you're doing it for the fun of it. And if you go, yeah, this costs 10 bucks or 20 bucks, but you know what? I don't care if I get crap. Because it's only ten or twenty bucks, I'm just going to take a shot, and it'll be fun, regardless. Yeah, I did that. Um, this comic shop that's a bit newer down in in Freeport, I did that, and I, I they do these grab bags, and you could potentially get some pretty decent comics in there. Um, and I got one, and I opened it up, and it was a bunch of New Mutants. I didn't know much about New Mutants, but I was I was my my first thing was just kind of disappointed because I had no interest in collecting New Mutants. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh man, oh well, you know, it was just 10 bucks, you know, so I didn't feel bad though. It's like this, I was hoping for like a variety of things rather than like all one thing basically. Um, but then I took them home and I, I think I had like posted a picture of them on Twitter. I was like, I don't know anything about new mutants. I'm not particularly excited about this, but like, should I be? And everybody's like, oh heck yeah. Um, oh, I think and, I remember when you like, did that. Yeah. Yeah. Settling into looking at it, uh, it was, a bunch of it was the Bill, the Bill Sinkovich art, uh, on the run. Uh, the Demon Bear story was like a, a big, big part of it, like a story that was during his run. But I really like Bill Sinkovich and, um, talking to other people, I believe they were saying that that, that's when his art started really finding its own form, you know, rather than meeting the confines of what's expected, you know, he was able to really express like his style. Um, I may be, I may be misremembering that, but I think that that's what, uh, some more knowledgeable folks had told me. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So like, I was like, oh, well, this ended up actually being a really good grab bag for 10 bucks and it kind of exposed me to something new. And I kind of added to the collection some and then I came across somebody else who was interested in, in getting it. I was kind of looking to pare down a little bit. So I ended up passing it on to somebody else and basically just kind of made my money back on it. Um, but it was nice to have it and it kind of exposed me to something else. So like something like that is like a $10 risk. No big deal. If I went in and bought like five bundles, I probably would be disappointed buying one. You know, as long as you're not going to regret spending that 10 bucks, it's, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. But you know, $200 yeah. on a box of football cards. No, no, you're not going to enjoy that unless you had something good. You'd have to so have that something was, uh, or two or three things really good for that amount. Probably. Yeah, I mean, I don't regret the Hastings ones because I I got a lot of uh, some good Brubaker stuff like criminal mm-hmm. issues and stuff and stuff like that and yeah, that's good. It's a good way to get a, a lot of the stuff that uh, when I was I guess like finding my breadth in comics a little bit. Um, I discovered from uh, from Nick 
just sending me a bunch of crap that he had like, Hey, I've read these. I don't want them anymore. Send yeah. them my way. And like, I would do the same thing for him. And, um, I mean, that developed into me sending stuff to, to you the same way. Yeah. And other, yeah. you know, it's like, a, it's nice doing that. Cause you could kind of, if somebody's just open to like, Hey, I don't mind getting a box of random comics, but, um, I got exposed to a lot of different things because of that. Uh, and the one thing that I will just always thank Nick for is he exposed me to fear agent, which oh, I yes. really enjoyed. He sent me, I believe, like the last half of the series and trades, and uh, I read them and then I passed them on, and then I later bought the first half of the series and trades, and then read them and then I regretted selling the other ones. You sent them to and me, then, yeah, and then I like I traded you back for them, and then I read it again, and then I traded them, or I, then I sent them to somebody else to read. And yeah, it just yeah, the circle of life. <laughs> yeah, I know I got some. I think I got some from you at one point, and then I sent them to Adam Alamo. I don't know how I ended up doing That's that. That's what it was. Yes. Yes. You sent them to Adam. I, I actually got them back because from they're Adam. so good. I'm like, oh, yeah. I need to, I need I, to share I, this, but I almost don't want to because it's so good. Yeah. That is so fun. And you can actually get, they, they recollected them, uh, because part of what made it difficult is they were actually published partially on Image and partially on Dark Horse. And then I guess Image must have bought the rights back to the dark horse run too. Cause you can actually get collected editions from image now that are like, instead of being six trades, it's three. Um, but yeah, you had actually, that, that was right. Cause I had sent them to you. You sent them to Adam. I messaged Adam was like, Hey, if you've read these, like I would really like to read them again. So I actually like got them back from Adam. Oh, awesome. Read them all again. And then I ended up sending them on to somebody else after that. I think Ronnie actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of comic books, I mentioned to you yesterday, the last two comics I've read recently were, um, I think the latest issue of Gideon Falls, which is good God. I don't know how far much of you've read of that. It still gets, it's just a really interesting story and I don't know what's happening. I got a feeling what's happening, but it's, it's out there. Um, loving it. And, you know, I hope that TV series, um, what is it? Tenacious company hive mind is produced, trying to get a show produced or is in production for a TV show of it. I hope they do a good job on it because it's, it's something that could be a huge hit just because the, the story is just so dang interesting. But I also read, uh, I told you I, I got the first two issues of skull digger and skeleton boy by Jeff Lemire and I I'm sorry I should remember the artist's name because the art is wonderful in it. I don't remember the artist and the colors and all that. I don't have it in front of me here. And I was like quite judge. I mean it's part of the Black Hammer universe and I've loved everything that he's put out in that and that's like a huge it's really great undertaking he's done with that. The different series that are they all tie together in some way. Um, Black Hammer 45, the Cthulhu girl or whatever, a little one issue. Cthulhuese, um, yeah. Yeah, Cthulhuese, yeah. Um, Dr. Star and the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrows or something. I mean, I'm just doing it off the top of my head. They're all, I loved them. I, mean, I remember one, of, one yeah. of those issues of that one actually almost made me cry. It was so meaningful the way it ended yeah. and wrapped up. I think it was the Dr. Well, I, I should say for me, at least the Dr. Star stuff, I think I was actually surprised with how heavy it was. It was very heavy. Wrapped up. Very um, heavy. The artist is, uh, if I'm saying this right, Tonchi Zonjic. Yes. Uh, Thank you for saying then, that for me because I would have murdered <laughs> it. Yeah. And the colorist is Dave Stewart. Yeah. Oh, great. Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart's yeah. always, every, you know, anything that he almost touches is good. So if you see one of those people you, like Matt Hollingsworth, you see him associated with it, well, it's going to be probably worth a look. Um, yeah. but that this story is okay. Now, okay. You know, everybody that, if you don't know what he, Lemire is doing with Black Hammer universe that he's created, he's taking our comic book history of our, that we know from the golden age and silver age, and he's just recreated his own alternate version. Um, and this one, I would say, is his take on the Punisher in a way. Kind of the Punisher, kind of, um, God, I don't, there's, there, it starts with a little kid and it completely has a feeling of Bruce Wayne standing with his parents and his parents get killed kind of thing. And he's going to become a, you know, he, you know, we all know the legend of Bruce Wayne, how he, you know, then becomes Batman and so on and so on. 75, 80 years of history there. Um, but it has that kind of a beginning, but then there's, there's a twist and Lemire always likes to twist and pull the strings and make things 
his own and then enters this like punisher like you know his, his skull he's got a big instead of just on his shirt he's got a, actually wears a mask of a skull and uh, he kills people and the cops are after him um and i read the first two issues and i'm like wow this I, I, you would think after a while he'd be pushing the limits of what he can do but i don't think there are any limits because it's, it, I highly recommend this book. And just after two I, I, issues, just looking at the cover, I, I looked it up to find out the artist, and uh, it, uh, it's appealing to me. Just looking at the cover, um, and you know, I love Jeff Lemire, so it's yeah, you sell for that's me. a given. But the best part of the first issue, okay, I'll take that back. It's not the best part. It, one of the the little treasures or joys of the first issue is Matt Kent has a promotion for a new book he's doing with dark horse called bang. Um, and, <laughs> and it's an interview with him and I don't, if you get a copy of it, it's, it's worth reading. If you have no interest in this, it's worth reading that little letters page or promotional page. Dark horse has at the back of the book, just because it, because one is funny as heck, ridiculously funny. Um, and, uh, Kent is kind of doing, He's taking a bunch of, instead of superheroes, he's taking like pulp heroes and giving them alternate versions. You know, I don't know if he's deliberately like taking the, and it doesn't matter if he is, if he sees what Kent Lemire's doing with a superhero comic thing and he's taking things like Doc Savage and, um, other pulp hero kind of mystery things and like making them more, uh, relevant for stories for now. Which is interesting. I'm going to check that out. The first issue I know is out, and the second issue has not yet been released. Um, I'm yeah, gonna, I got. There's a few things I need to check out by the both of them, but those things are those two are definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I'll wait till they cut, this stuff starts coming out in trades, anyways, because I'm. I mean, that's kind of comic shops closing. It's not like I'm getting new comic yeah. issues. So. Well, that's kind of where I'm at now too. I'm, I'm like finding things, and then I will not wait and see what's going to happen especially once yeah. they get into the trade situation like that that's yeah like i i little bird finally came out in trade and i was able to even read that on hoopla and i really enjoyed that yeah um that was something you'd recommended a while ago but um that's a crazy least, book right yeah i i dig, <laughs> I dig the art style and i um I'm, I'm reading it i i have not read anything by by mobius yet but I'm reading it, and I've seen some of Mobius's artwork. I was like, "This really feels like that." And then I get to the end, and the artist is talking about uh, their influences, and they basically said they wanted to do something that is how Mobius would do it. That's what they asked themselves through making it. Like, how would Mobius do that? And uh, it definitely felt that way um, from just a little bit that I've seen. So that also makes me want to dig into Mobius because I haven't done that yet. That's awesome. Um, yeah, now you made me want to check that out too. Yeah, but uh, we should probably wrap up. Funny, funny no, thing. Sorry, you mentioned Mobius and little weird synchronicities. I was uh, in this one of the little stalls at this uh, flea market trade days thing. Had tons of prints, and one of them was Mobius. And I, I didn't look through it, but I remember seeing that name. And like, maybe next time, <laughs> next month, I'll go check that out. Yeah, we should probably yeah. wrap this up next time. We're gonna get the Super Wolf, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> um, real quick as we wrap up, I'd finally finished three long collections that I had been reading. Uh, one was, uh, X-Men Inferno, which crossed over with like X-Men and X-Force and New Mutants and a bunch of stuff. Um, I, I enjoyed it. The, the proper crossover was nine issues across three titles, but this trade collected more peripheral material. And I felt like it, um, it dragged on a little bit reading it all at once, uh, because they did a really good job overlapping enough to where you could read just one thing. And like, if you're reading just one title, you wouldn't be lost. Yeah. Um, and it overlapped nicely, but it also kind of made it feel repetitive until it really got into the meat of the story. But all that being said, finishing that, I am now going to be reading Uncanny X-Men, uh, from my physical collection. I have every issue from the next issue I have to read, which I want to say is like 244, uh, on into the early 300s, which is probably where I'm going to stop trying anyways. Wow. Um, so I'm excited about that. Two, I finally finished reading the fifth volume, uh, 
of the Usagi Yojimbo saga, which is Dark Horse's like omnibus collections of Usagi Yojimbo. So I believe I have two, maybe three more of those to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I had read through a bunch of it and then just kind of stalled up reading other stuff for quite a while. But so I was happy to move on with that. And then, uh, same thing. I can't, I don't remember which volume it was, but Lone Wolf and Cub. I was in the midst of, uh, of a trade of Lone Wolf and Cub and I still got a chunk to go with that. Uh, but I finished that. So I feel like I, I hit this wall with reading for a long time and, uh, then finally like got through some stuff. And then once I finally finished that X-Men one, I just, it was nice to just go like bang, bang, bang and just fly through yeah. the other ones. Yeah. And it's also <sighs> nice when you have the trade version. I show you don't have to like, it's not like you're waiting months to months. It's like when you, especially older books like that, you can just burn through, especially if they're really good. You just want to keep, that's why I've stalled out on Yo Jimbo, but I know once I start again, I, I'm going to want to have the time to just keep reading it. Yeah. Same, same, One yeah. thing I like about Yo Jimbo is that like, I feel like you, um, you kind of can binge it. And you can stop for quite a while and you don't lose anything. You don't yeah. go back and like, oh, I don't remember where I was at. Like, it's not so convoluted of a story. Like, the stories can stretch out a little bit, but they're always um, a little more contained. And even if you lose track some, it's easy to remember what you are picking up from, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's call it a night. I've been sitting here too long. Um, yeah, this was a good time. Good talking yeah, to you. Always good. Always I don't even good know to how to wrap to this up anymore because everything has changed. Yeah. Um, we are now on the Age of Radio. I think that's the name of it. <laughs> Sorry, Joey, <laughs> if I got that wrong. Um, we'll find out when I try to go post this. Um, cause we're not, I'm not releasing it on our, we're, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, I'm yeah. Michael, you're Paul. Uh, that's the best part. I don't care if everybody listens to this. I've been thinking yeah. about that for a while. I, I don't <laughs> care anything about podcasting anymore. I'm only still doing this because I enjoy talking. And I'm, I, I just like I've talking talked to earlier you about. I want to talk to Glenn. That's only because I want to talk to Glenn. Like I, I, I give less of a crap if I recorded it or not. But just I think, do it um, for his courtesy. Like I think it would be. I think it would be interesting for other people to hear. But you know, for him. Uh, I think it'd be a little weird to be like, we should do a podcast and be like, yeah, I'm just going to talk to you instead. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the reason I do any of it. That's the reason I do the one with my cousin Dave, and that's why I do the one with you because I love talking with you. I love talking with him, and I always I always leave the conversation wishing I had more time and more energy. And uh, maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll do another phone call here soon, sooner rather yeah. than later. Yeah, we do need to say, I've listened to Superwolf quite a bit, uh, because so we wanted good. to start talking about Bonnie Prince Billy albums, because that's something that we're sharing a deep love of right now. I mean, you have, you definitely have a lot more depth there than I did. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to dig into the, the greater world of Bonnie Prince Billy. Um, and Superwolf, man, I was pounding through that and, uh, Blood Embrace was, you told me that was your favorite song on there. And the first time I listened, I was like, man, why? There's songs that stand out to me way more than this one. Right. And then I finally, like, I listened enough and I just heard it in the right mood. And I was like, oh, man. And it's song the, now. Yeah. It's all that Matt Sweeney guy, man. Yeah. He's to something. me, he's something. <laughs> we, yeah, we have a, this is a whole, this is probably another long conversation. Let's not, I yeah, don't want to keep it's you. It's an hour on its own. So. Yeah. We'll call it a night. Uh, yeah, if you actually do listen to this, you can tweet me at who's Paul. Sparky's at MD Sparkman. Uh, so yeah, feel free to chat with us if you feel like it. Uh, if you don't listen, we don't care. We're not talking for you, really. So <laughs> have a good night. Adios. Yeah. <laughs>